Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast, where we like to talk a little bit of football every once in a while. It's what we what we try to do anyway. So, so Tug is still not with us. Uh, he will be back at some point in the future, I'm sure, but that's not today. So it's still me and Bug. And you know what? It's, it's all good. It's still going to happen. We're going to make it happen for you. Yeah, I think it's going to work. I think we'll be fine. We've uh, we've done a couple episodes without him. Kind of weird starting this without him. It's going to be a weird dynamic when he gets back, but I think we'll make it. So he was actually telling me the other day that he really didn't understand the Israel-Palestine conflict. I said, <laughs> man, you just need to get on... You just need to get on the net and yahoo it. That's how we're starting the show, huh? <laughs> <laughs> let's get in the news. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's definitely do it. Only go up from here, right? <laughs> so, yeah, starting off with some NFL news. Uh, we'll keep most of the playoff stuff until the end. But we're actually going to talk about all the games that happened. But a little bit to talk about here before we get down to the playoff games. Uh, mostly mostly quarter stuff, I'll be honest. But interesting nonetheless. So Steelers defensive coordinator Keith Butler has retired. He was with the team for seven years, um, I believe, as defensive coordinator. But... He's, he, I think he was a linebacker's coach for the Steelers for a little bit longer than that. Um, but I thought this would interest you, Bug, quite a bit. He started his career at Memphis, where he played inside linebacker, was an All-American there, then played for the Seahawks for 10 years, went back to Memphis to coach linebackers. And uh, nice little little ring, uh, or, or I don't even know what you would call it, nice little feather in his cap, I guess, is... Uh, that 1996 Memphis upset of the Peyton Manning-led Tennessee Volunteers. He was a linebacker's coach for that and was actually the architect of that particular defense that they used in that game, which threw Peyton Manning for a loop, apparently. That's always fun. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's probably the most important nugget to me. You know, forget the fact that he won two Super Bowls coaching the Steelers. Uh, that's pretty cool and everything, uh, but being a Memphis grad, a Memphis All-American, you know, going back through the history of the Tigers, there's not a lot there. Uh, Keith Butler is definitely a name that stands out. Not one that I really associated with uh, Memphis for a long time, uh, but his name did start coming up every now and then. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, if if it weren't for all the Big 12 craziness and saltiness still going on, uh, a lot more people will be talking about Keith Butler right now than uh, than are on the uh, fan pages and such. Speaking of the Steelers, real quick, did want to mention this. Dwayne Haskins has been offered a restricted free agent tender from the Steelers, essentially meaning he will be back with the Pittsburgh Steelers next season, unless somebody gives the Steelers a first-round pick. So that's probably not going to happen. But there was question whether or not Dwayne Haskins would return to the Steelers and that's basically official now. So that's good news for Dwayne Haskins. I like to see that. I think he really did have a lot of potential. And for the Steelers to have enough faith in him to at least bring him back another season, at least give him another shot at trying to be the starter for them, 
Yeah, I mean, I feel, like, I feel like this is something we say every time we bring, bring up Dwayne Haskins. One, he didn't right. look awful in Washington. And two, Big Ben spoke highly of him. It's just apparently that practice work ethic kind of waned and just wasn't there as much as the season wore on. I, you know, what are you going to do? I, I would, if you made me pick between him and Mason Rudolph or drafting somebody, I'd probably still draft somebody, but Haskins probably going to be my day one starter. I I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting situation. It's definitely gonna be something interesting for, uh, for the Steelers to navigate, particularly Mike Tomlin, who hasn't coached the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger. I know there's been rumors that maybe he's looking at leaving as well, uh, but there's nothing confirmed on that yet anyway, so no point really talking about it at this time at least. I feel like those are old rumors at this point too. Tomlin's made no indication that he would want to leave, so no reason to bring it up. (laughs) But let's go ahead and move on then. Actually staying in the division, the Ravens fired their defensive coordinator, Don Martindale, who has been around for a long time coaching defenses. Uh, give you a little taste of how long he's been around. He was actually a linebacker's coach for Jack Harbaugh, his current boss's dad out at Western Kentucky. And then John Harbaugh just let him go as defensive coordinator for the Ravens. He does have a Super Bowl ring in 2012 with the Ravens. But other than that, he's mostly been a position coach. Had two defensive coordinator stints in his career that I could see uh, with the Broncos and the Ravens. But mostly position coach work really for a lot, a lot of teams. So <laughs> we'll see where Don Martindale goes. I expect he will get picked up somewhere, right? Yeah, I don't know how much you can put uh, the Ravens' struggles on Don Martindale this year, particularly on that defense. I just don't know if they had a ton to work with. And right. what they were able to do anyway, I think, is uh, it's a step in the right direction, even if it didn't give them the results that they wanted. One more coordinator to talk about here is the Panthers finding their new offensive coordinator in Ben McAdoo, which is probably not a name we expected to be talking about in in the year 2022. But, you know, give him another shot here. I will say, as, you know, bad as his time was as head coach of the Giants, he really has been the head of some pretty good offenses in the past and a position coach for multiple different positions, ranging from offensive line to quarterbacks to receivers. I don't think he has coached running backs. I couldn't find an instance where he had. But, <laughs> you know, get somebody with experience doing all of it, and eventually, you know, you're going to make a pretty good offensive coordinator. He has coached tight ends, too. So Ben McAdoo, offensive coordinator for the Panthers, Okay, makes sense to me. It's, it's an interesting pickup, and, you know, uh, Giants fans probably having nightmares about it, probably, you know, crossing themselves, thank, thankful they don't have to deal with them anymore. But at the same time, who knows, the change might be helpful in uh, Carolina, and they've got a situation at quarterback as well. They might even end up having a situation at head coach here eventually because I want to stick with the Panthers real quick for a second. There hasn't been anything about Jim Harbaugh taking a job. I'm going to say this up front. Right. There hasn't even been anything about anybody being interested. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody's really announced interest, asked him for an interview, at least nothing public yet. 
but Matt Rule has raised his hand and said, you know what? If if he takes an NFL job, I'll I'll gladly go to Michigan. And I'm like, I don't like you were would okay you at Temple. You might have covered some stuff up at Baylor. <laughs> right. And right. you have done nothing in the NFL. So I I don't know. It's it's weird timing to me too. Like nobody's talking about Jim Harbaugh right now. Why are you trying to take a man's job when he didn't, you know, I don't know. Nobody's talking about Matt Rule either. So I don't know what in the world he's thinking. Uh, If I were him, I would just, let's stick it out another year, get paid another 10 mil by the Carolina Panthers and let's keep it moving. Let's get paid another 10 mil and who knows, maybe, maybe the offense will be better. Honestly, the biggest problem for Carolina, and I think McAdoo might help, but they either need a healthy Christian McCaffrey or they just need to start looking to draft a running back this year. And if if I'm that front office, I'm probably drafting somebody I can trust to play more than four weeks of the season. The problem with that strategy is there's not too much in the way of draftable running backs this year. I'm going to be honest with you. And we will get more into that as we head closer to draft time. So that would have been a great transition to go to our college news, but we have some non-NFL pro news to get into, and we want to do that first. Yeah, just a little bit today. You know, the USFL a couple weeks ago announced their first four head coaches. They've announced two more. Uh, They actually announced this early on Thursday, and we both just missed it. So we're going to circle back and talk about it now. First one for the Birmingham Stallions is going to be Skip Holtz, most recently at Louisiana Tech. I think we talked about him leaving Louisiana Tech and going like we didn't know what was going on with that. Right. Well, he's taken this job, and yes, this is Lou Holtz's son. I like the move. I think it's the name alone is going to draw people in, just like when uh, I think it was the Dallas Renegades in the XFL had Bob Stoops. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to draw people in. So I, there's only so much you can do. Hold on one second. Small children have entered the area. This is dangerous. But yeah, so I'd like Skip Holtz a lot. I never understood why he never got more credit for leading Louisiana Tech the way that he did all those years. Really, the Bulldogs were a fantastic team, the class of the Conference USA. For almost as long as he was there, he had to go through two rebuilds with him. But the fact that he got the opportunity to do two old rebuilds also says something about his ability as a coach, right? Most colleges don't let you stick around for another one. So Skip Holtz is a good coach here. To get him into a pro, I guess, a pro league, it's not the NFL, but it is a professional football league here. That's an interesting move. I like it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm I'm not upset about it. I'm interested to see how this one works out. And, there, you know, there's not a ton to say about it. He's basically been in the, I don't want to say, you know, minor leagues as far as college football goes. His last three jobs have been East Carolina, South Florida, and then Louisiana Tech. I don't want to say he's been middling around in nothing colleges, but it, it has not been quite still the pedigree. Division one FBS. Yes. So, yeah, it has on. not quite been the pedigree of the other guy that was hired to coach the Pittsburgh Maulers, Kirby Wilson. This guy has been coaching since 1985. He started his career as a community college positions coach. His first step into D1 football was at SIU, coaching the linebackers and then working his way up to the defensive coordinator position. Then he went to Wyoming, spent some time there as D coordinator. And then from then on, 
he was a running backs coach. Iowa State, the Patriots, the Redskins, USC, the Bucks, the Cardinals, the Steelers, the Vikings, the Browns, the Cardinals, and most recently with the Las Vegas Raiders. So a guy that's been, you know, teaching, showing, uh, Brandon. Shit. Wow. Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. <laughs> yeah. I got us. I saw SIU. I got excited. Somebody that's been showing Josh Jacobs the ropes and has been kind of mentoring him in his NFL career is now going to be coaching the Pittsburgh Maulers. He's also going to be the general manager for them. So he's going to have a big part, obviously, in player selection. I expect this team to probably be pretty run heavy and to be a team that's going to smack you in the mouth when they're running the ball. Yeah, he's been in the NFL for like 20 years now, right? So should have a decent handle on some things. Position coach or not, he's been around the league long enough. He's going to pick up on some interesting techniques. And I, I think that's <laughs> kind of been a – right. That's been a, a theme, a trend with all these different spring leagues. It's guys that maybe are past their, you know, over the hill, past their prime as far as coaching, if you have a coaching prime. And they're they're just out there. Their names, they're going to draw eyeballs. And they're out there doing their thing, getting people to come watch. And I don't, mm-hmm. the only time I really haven't been pleased with spring football is the first week of the, the AAF. But even that, there were some massive hits. I Look, I'm just excited to have 100-yard spring football back. Absolutely. With that said, though, I'm also excited for 50-yard indoor spring football where I get to call the plays. <laughs> I'm, of course, talking about the FCF. And not not anything huge here. This is football adjacent, I would guess. I would, you know, I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Obviously, you know, last year they were only streaming their games on Twitch. Uh, they have the whole call your own plays aspect. They've got all kinds of different – all their shows are produced on Twitch, all kinds of different stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it multiple times. They've been trying to enter the NFT game. Those should be going on sale in the next couple of weeks. So if you're into that and you want a football-related NFT that's kind of football adjacent, it's a football character, It's they look kind of cool. The ballers collected, they're going to be starting releasing those. I guess that's the correct term. I'm not an NFT expert here by any means. Uh, but if you're into that, be on the lookout. They are on the horizon. So definitely... Uh, definitely look into it a little bit more if you are interested. I kind of am, but not enough to know every fine little detail about it. So, yeah, I'm not a. It is. I'm not a blockchain boy, not a crypto, crypto nerd. Apparently, that's where all the money is right now, man. Like that's, I know it's the top thing, to be, I guess. Man, but fair enough. You know, if if that's a good way for the FCF to make money, stay sustainable. You know, actually stick around for a few more years past what they're currently financially able to do i'm all for it you know i love the but, it was really fun and you know this is our this is our first broadcast on our own twitch channel uh, if you are watching it from my personal twitch channels because i'm hosting it but if you spend any amount of time on twitch you probably understand that nfts crypto a lot of this more internet virtual world stuff really links in well with the community right. that they've already built so it's just one more way to get people involved and it might even draw some people from a, you know, from other, other internet communities and keep the FCF going strong. I don't know. I think the business model is different enough and everything they do is different enough that they're going to continue to succeed here. And really I'm here for it. I'm looking forward to it. It's not even 
it's not even the same as the NFL or college football. So it's a different product entirely. It's a different environment. It's a different atmosphere. It's a different kind of a sport. So it should attract a different audience. And this is the kind of way to crack into the audience that they want to crack into. It makes total sense to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so that does it say? for all of our pro news. There we go. That's what I say. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and jump into this college news. So a couple of coaching things up top. Uh, Todd Graham resigned from the University of Hawaii. Remember, we had a story about him maybe two weeks ago. If that, we ended up like a quarter of the team transferred out. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't believe that all these allegations are necessarily true. I mean, the university itself has come out and said there's not enough evidence to really do anything about this. But Todd Graham, in the interest of the university and the team actually existing next year, has gone and said, and said well, maybe I'm not the best guy to lead your program. Respect it, right? Uh, at the same time, I don't know where Todd Graham can go from here. I don't know that anybody would actually want to hire this guy at the moment. Well, I, I think the biggest thing is it makes it tough, no matter if he stays at Hawaii or goes somewhere else, it just makes recruiting that much harder. Do you really want that stain on your program right now? Especially right. with with the transfer portal, with uh, NIL deals. Like, Do you really want that there for you? So they were trying to get June Jones, who you may remember from the XFL and also a whole bunch of other things. Uh, previously head coach of Hawaii as well. But Jones was displeased, to put it nicely, with some of the language in the contract, and he basically went public in saying the University of Hawaii is in more as a moronic organization should should uh, go fornicate themselves. Uh, so what they did instead is go ahead and bring in former Hawaii legend, Timmy Chang. Most recently, he was the running backs or wide receivers coach, excuse me, of Colorado State Rams. Fascinating move to me. The fact that you're actually bringing in a position coach, first time ever head coach to run your program is wild. Also, who else are you going to get this late in the cycle? What are your real options out of Hawaii? And it is a campus legend, record-breaking quarterback for you. I kind of get it. I kind of respect it. Also, uh, I don't know. What do you think? I think I think it's the safe move. I won't say it's a good move. I won't say it's a bad move. I think it's a safe move. And that's simply because you're not going to make anybody upset with this pick. You know, you're not going to make it or or higher. I should say nobody's going to be mad that a former player is coaching at least not in year one. And that'll at least give you some time to move some things around, maybe do a deep soul search and figure out, is this the direct, is he going to take us the direction we want to go? Can we ride it out? Or do we need to look for a legitimate next guy? It's a safe move. I think that's the easy, the, that's all you can really say. Safe as in nobody's going to protest it, 
but also really risky in that he has never been a head coach before. I don't know how really good he is at recruiting either. He's pretty new at Colorado State, so fascinating to me. Let's see how he actually performs. I'm sure at the same time as I'm saying all this, he's going to get a pretty long leash here at Hawaii. So oh, yeah. even if oh, it's yeah. a three, four-year rebuild, I expect you know this is probably your guy for right now. Dude, this this camera is killing me, man. It's just adjusting to the light every five seconds. Sorry, you have too much light for your camera, and I obviously have, don't have enough light. So, <laughs> all sorts of issues. What we're getting there. Uh, next up is Cal. They have extended their head coach Justin Wilcox after he had back-to-back winning seasons in 2018-2019 with the Cal Golden Bears. I mean, 2020 was COVID. There weren't, I don't even think there was enough games to have a winning season or not out in the Pac 12 in 2020. And in 2021, he went five and seven, but he beat Stanford and he beat USC. So, yeah, they're bringing this guy back. I just want to highlight how that was the main call out in the press conference was his record against Stanford, his record against USC, which is something that Cal really hasn't been able to boast about for. I don't know, 40 years at this point. So rivalry games matter. At the <laughs> same time, at the same time, it's the, you know, the Scott Frost, Nebraska, if they would have been able to beat Oklahoma, which they very well could right. have, right? right? You can beat your rivals, but you can't compete in the conference elsewhere. I think it's a good start. I respect the extension. There is still a lot of work to do. It is true. But he gets a five-year extension here, and also in that contract, the pool of money for assistant coaches goes up. So I think Cal is making a bit of more investment, seeing what's possible with the program, wants to see more heading in this direction. I like it a lot. I think this could work out really well. I know there was talk of Justin Wilcox potentially being a candidate for Oregon or Washington, even within the conference getting plucked out of Cal. So... For him to stay there, not only stay, but sign a five-year extension is actually a, kind of a big deal for Cal. Yeah, I mean, what's, when was the last time Cal was good when Aaron Rodgers was there? They weren't even that good then. Uh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so next up is Auburn. They had a defensive coordinator who you might know, a former head coach in the SEC, Derek Mason. Yeah, he, he resigned. Um, not entirely sure why. He just said it was in his and the school's best interest that he find some new opportunities. That almost sounds like a, if you don't quit, we're firing you. Yeah, something. there's something else going on here right. because he was just, you know, a quarter, a drive away from winning the Iron Bowl and keeping Alabama out of the college football playoff, out of the conference championship. And I get it. You weren't able to get the job done. But that was also two months ago, three months ago. Right. I It's right. wild. So their linebacker coach, Jeff Schmedling, which sounds like a fake name, but it's definitely not, has been promoted to be their new <laughs> defensive coordinator. 
So Derek Mason was the head coach at Vanderbilt. He was a defensive coordinator before that, too, a defensive coordinator at Auburn. I would imagine if he wants another job, he can probably go find one. But he's going to have to explain what happened here. Yeah, it's going to be a a real awkward interview. I also don't think he, depending on what it is, he either can only get another SEC job or won't get any more SEC jobs. It's true. It's uh, it's really Pandora's box here for him. If it was just that, hey, you didn't stop Alabama, well, then everybody should be calling because nobody can stop Alabama. Right. (laughs) And he did a better job at Auburn than he did at Vanderbilt of stopping Bama. So take that. Wow. Founded DC for the all name team. Absolutely. I was looking at it spelled out here and I was like, thank God I'm not the one that has to pronounce it because, yeah, yeah, it would have come out wrong. (laughs) Jeff Schmedling. Schmedling. (laughs) So the one bit of like huge sweeping college football news here that feels like has gone a little bit under the radar, maybe deservedly so. The NCAA has a new constitution. It's been streamlined, supposedly. And I just want to walk through what that means. So for the average fan, this means next to nothing, at least for the next couple of seasons. If you give this some time, it may mean pretty big changes between the divisions. So Division One, where the schools that you've heard of all reside, kind of has its own governance now. Division Two has a separate governance, and Division Three even still has a separate governance. It is interesting to me that they would do this. It almost feels like the NCAA is giving up in a sense, saying that we can't control everything from our ivory tower. Go fend for yourselves. At the same time, it kind of feels like something that should have been done a long time ago. Division one should be handled separately. They have separate rules for a reason, and moving between the divisions is extremely difficult for the universities for multiple reasons, not just financially. So it really does make sense to me, but why they needed a whole new constitution for this is interesting to say the least i don't know another good word for it what do you think about this bug the ncaa has been way too reactive to i don't want to say the things they've had to deal with the past couple of years but the things that have affected them the most the past couple of years they've been way too reactive you know the nil the genie's out of the bottle and because they just opened it with no plan because let's face it they're forced to it's it's a mess and it's it's turning into a lot what a lot of people feared it would become but on the same token here they were too ignorant to think that it would come they thought they're gonna be able to hold it off and keep the amateurism safe and all this and, and they weren't and now we're seeing it again right the ncaa is this big overarching thing and it wanted to treat everybody across all four di- or all three divisions the same. And realistically, in football, there's four. It wanted to treat all, them all the same, but the fact of the matter is, it's not. You know, right. I, the fact that some of these D two and D three schools have programs, especially football programs, 
is astonishing, right? We hear it all the time that, oh, well, the SEC and, you know, these these big Power 5 schools, they have to play these FCS schools or they'll lose their program. Like, it, it's a really horrible excuse when you realize right. that D2 schools and D3 schools don't, right? So it's it's interesting that it took, what, 100 years to figure out, yeah. hey, we need to treat these different divisions differently. I. I just don't get it. Every state in the country has, except for probably Rhode Island, has classes for all their sports and they treat them all differently. Rhode yes. Island definitely does, but they shouldn't because they're only 30 square miles. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Somehow they crammed 84 like high schools into that 30 square miles. Because graduating class of 22, just enough to field a football team. <laughs> Eight man. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's just disappointing. It, it, it seems like a lot of oversight, ignorance, laziness, right? Really, everything you've come to expect from the NCAA, which is sad, but definitely a fair assessment. And again, probably as an average fan, you won't even notice too many changes with that. But I mean, the fact that it had to come to this is disappointing. I refuse to believe that, John. You don't actually have divisions. <laughs> Not a single eight-man team in Rhode Island. That's because you only have seven people in the state. <laughs> <laughs> in Enough the tormenting. State. <laughs> Enough right. torment. 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 So that's all I got for news, though, unless you had something else to add here. Nah, man, it's... Uh... I don't know. I, I'm honestly way too excited about the NFL right now and how okay. good I am at making brackets. Um, <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, we already have a final order for who won the bracket challenge, which is really sad considering we just had the divisional round and we have like two rounds to go technically still. But Bug is our clear and away winner. Who I've missed a whole two games. Points? I've missed so, the whole two games. Right. Uh, I have missed more than that, but I am in second place with seven points. Um, that's actually the almost the most that I can get. I can get like another three points, I believe, and I would still be behind you, Bug, at 11 here. So that's why I'm mathematically eliminated. I'm in second place. And Tug lost every game in the divisional round, which is <laughs> sad. And sounds like something that I would have done, but fortunately for me, I didn't. Um, yeah, so Tug's in last place with four points, and he is at four points. He won't get any more than that. So wild, absolutely nuts to me, that we just finalized our bracket challenge in the divisional round. <laughs> But what a divisional round it was. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, our first game here, we all missed this one. We all actually had Tennessee in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And uh, to quote Evan McPherson, looks like we're going to the AFC Championship game. <laughs> I will Man. say, though, we all expected this to be a good game. And actually, on the last show, we said that this should be the best game of the weekend. I want to say that technically, we weren't wrong. 
just happened to be a four-way tie for the best game of the weekend. <laughs> and, and truth be told, uh, you know, we'll get into it more later. Do not worry about that. If the NFL overtime rules are different, it probably isn't a four-way tie because True. realistically, True. probably a better game. But when it has to end like that. Kind of knocks it down a peg. Yeah. Anyway, Bengals-Titans time. Yeah, I I guess we got to start with what went wrong for the Titans, right? I think the obvious answer is Ryan Tannehill. I think it's very deserved, maybe a little bit undeserved. Now, what am I getting at there? That last pick, you can't completely put on him. But he just – he didn't play well. And Derrick Henry can only do so much, right? I will say I, I got to question the play calling a little bit. He's already thrown two interceptions, hasn't looked great all day. And on the last drive of the game, you come out and have him throw on the first down when you have Derrick Henry. I I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Play calling, I think, was a little stale. I I don't know. It, it kind of had me scratching my head that they weren't able to do a little bit more. But at the same time, giving the ball, you know, three interceptions to Joe Burrow, I think, only had one. Right. And two, though, you got to look at it. The Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times. If you can't win it, the last time I saw a quarterback get sacked nine times, it was the worst offensive performance of the century for the team that had nine sacks against. And yet the Titans allowed the Bengals to score 19 points. Right. Unreal with that. Uh, also, want to point out, you know, there's something that actually you had said initially in these notes that the Titans felt like they didn't commit enough to the run, which was funny to me because the Titans had the most rushing yards of anybody this weekend. At the same time, you have to look at when those runs occurred. There were times where it felt like the t- Titans should have ran the ball when they didn't. And there were times when it felt like this is an area where the Titans normally would have run the ball throughout the regular season, and they didn't. Right, and that clearly affected them. I don't know why they changed it up so much. And man, Ryan Tannehill has been really good in the regular season, past two regular seasons for the Titans. Now, I just, just I got it doesn't feel right. It feels like something's missing there. I gotta wonder if there's a hump that he needs to clear here, or what he needs to do because. Something's not working. I will say it would definitely help if they had a tight end. And the fact that the Titans got good right after Delaney Walker left is really sad. <laughs> I mean, he was getting hurt too much anyway, right? Uh, it's It was not really catching his career. position for him. Not early. Not early. That's right. Near That's the end there, though. But, yeah, uh, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown is your only targets. Really and Julio a... Jones, he didn't look good. Right. And he, I mean, nobody should really be surprised after how his season went. Just a tough look, man. And when AJ Brown's the only guy you can go to, guess what? He's kind of easy to cover if he's one of one, right? Right. But then what well, went right for the Bengals? And honestly, the answer is just about everything else other than the sex. <laughs> and I, I got to say, right, like this is, this is pretty cut and dry. Evan McPherson, Joe Burrow's tenacity, 
that's that basic that's it that's basically it because the defense did just enough Joe Burrow did more than enough more than what anybody would expect of a quarterback that's getting hit that many times and Evan McPherson absolute ice water in his veins right I'm I'm never gonna get over that one for the 22 year old you're like yeah I got this yeah we're going to the AFC championship boys. <laughs> that's great that's great I, I do want to point out too, you know, Joe Mixon, and I I don't know if I ever fully explained why I nominated him for our non-quarterback offensive player of the year on, on the show. And it's because I think he is the most valuable player to that team, right? Of course, Joe Burrow can bomb the ball long to Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uzama when he has to. But he faces a good defensive line they start rushing four or five. He's getting sacked nine times a game. You're able to get the ball to Joe Mixon, slow that pass rush down just a little bit, even if it's only for a couple plays. Being able to mix that run in with Joe Mixon, it, it elevates his value more than I think anybody will give him credit for. Maybe fair. He doesn't have the stats to stack up for the other guys, though. He, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's 100% true. There's no <laughs> – I can't argue that. Right. So I do have to ask, does the fact that the Titans had nine sacks kind of disprove the entire premise of this show where you have to win in the trenches to be able to win a game? No, because the Titans offense couldn't do enough either. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about a total team package here in a little bit. But we can't, you know, we'll get there in a minute. So well, I, I want I you say to go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I want you to go ahead and talk about some statistics here from this game real quick. Well, you had mentioned the big ones I had written down. Four combined interceptions. Uh, so a little bit sloppy there. Three of those are thrown by Ryan Tannehill, right? That's kind of what we've been saying. Titans did have over double the Bengals' rushing yards, 140 versus 65. Wow. The Titans had nine sacks, which, again, unreal. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, that definitely didn't happen the rest of the divisional round, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but simply the fact that A.J. Brown had more receiving yards than the rest of the receiving core combined kind of shows you how much the Titans lack in weapons. And the fact that Joe Burrow was able to make use of all these different playmaking threats kind of shows you how good he is. I mean, that's a, that's a weird point to make to claim the Titans issues around the weapons, but then, the Bengals were able to solve that with Joe Burrow, but I think that's kind of true. You know, I don't know that the Bengals' receiving core is really any better than the Titans, but maybe Joe Burrow's just that much better than Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that's what it comes down to. I don't know that I'm hitting the panic button and finding a new quarterback right I now. Wouldn't. If I'm the Titans. I wouldn't next year, at least. Yeah, I, I think you got to give them at least another year because this is, what, two years in a row where they've exited in the divisional round. I think you got to give them that extra year, much like 
coaches. I mean, Andy Reid took the Eagles to what four or five straight NFC championship games before finally getting to the Super Bowl. Right. Maybe maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's getting over that hump for him at this point. I will say though, between the Titans, the Bengals, the Chiefs are looking great. The Chargers are going to end up in this mix. And I think I'll even talk about this a little bit more later. I'm looking forward to what the playoffs are going to look like for the next five, 10 years or so. It is worth mentioning though. Yes. I think Ryan Tannehill deserves another year, but if I'm the Titans, you got to really start weighing that against how much longer do we think we're going to get this type of production out of Derrick Henry? Because there's no doubt in my mind that he is the heart and soul of that offense. I don't think anybody that's watched the Titans can say that he's not. Tannehill might be good enough in the regular season. And don't get me wrong, I don't think they even make the playoffs as the one seed without Tannehill this year. Right. But it obviously but something's not there. He wasn't good enough. You know? Yeah. Something's not there in the playoffs. You don't want to you don't want to risk having a tail end Derrick Henry who's not able to do everything. I don't know, man. It's it's tough. It's really tough. So I will say, as a little bit of a transition here as well. This is the exact conversation that led to drafting Trey Lance, right? Because Jimmy Garoppolo felt like maybe he just didn't have enough to get it done. Well, it turns out in the 49ers-Packers game, he didn't need to have enough to get it done because Aaron Rodgers was shut down. I mean, just about everything went wrong for the Packers. And then what really went wrong was the special teams, right? Full disclosure. I get too upset and too pissed off watching the Packers uh, to watch an entire game. And there is some statistical data behind this that they get more favorable calls than any other team in the NFL. And as much as the officials irritate me in literally every game I've watched this year, I cannot physically force myself to watch a Packers game when I know that there's going to be bad calls because there's bad calls in every NFL game at this point. But when I know that most of them are going to go for the Packers, I can't make myself watch it. I will say I'll watch the fourth quarter. That means, though, that I missed that block punt that resulted in the one 49ers touchdown. I missed how the 49ers tied this game. That's a special teams gaffe right there. Oh, yeah. What's worse is that when Robbie Gold kicked the game-winning field goal, the Packers had 10 men on the field. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it's just the bigger thing here too is, and I, I've seen a lot of people bring this up, or I guess not a lot, but I've seen enough people bring it up that I'm going to bring it up here as well. How can you say that Lambeau Field, the snow, the cold weather is this big advantage when Jimmy Garoppolo comes in and the 49ers come in? They not only shut down your offense. But you weren't able, you know, their defense was great. It was good enough. Their offense was good enough. And now you end up losing to a kicker that's on a team from the West Coast kicking a field goal in the snow. And your home team, your home field advantage, you can only get 10 points with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Something, Something's not right. And I, I don't know what to say. I, I do kind of want to be fair in my analysis of the rest of this, but 
I don't know what explanation you really can give me here for what happened to the Green Bay Packers this week. Yeah, I truly do not know because at least what we thought we knew about the Packers is at least the offense is solid. And really the defense played pretty dang well. The defense only allowed six points. So (laughs) you would imagine 99 out of 100 games where your defense only allows six points and you have Aaron freaking Rodgers on your team, you're going to win that game. I don't know what happened here. I can't explain it. But we do have some stats to get into. But uh, I guess hand it back to you for your your thoughts first. E- either way, you know, it's up to you. You want you want some stats? You want to just keep rambling? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll look. <laughs> I've seen I've seen this quote credited to both men, Robbie Gold or Jimmy G. You're both welcome on the show whenever you want. By the way, absolutely. But whichever one of you was caught on Mike saying, fuck the Packers has priority. (laughs) For real though, this is kind of like, you know, the Thanos quote, the Thanos scene. What did it cost you? Everything. Getting huge vibes like that from this game. Uh, Eliza Mitchell went out, banged up. Haven't seen a report on him. Kittle went out, banged up. Haven't seen a report on him yet. I'm sure we'll get a full injury report uh, coming up thursday i think so hopefully on our next show we'll be able to to speak to that a little bit man this is uh that's going to be huge mission those two guys because they're already they're already without basically having a running back so i'm happy they got this one done they are my pick to be super bowl champions and i'm most happy we're going to get this this rematch that i've been hoping for since they won in week 18 to get into the playoffs I've been waiting for 49ers Rams. So we'll talk about that later in the week, obviously, but this was, this was step two to get there. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. It certainly feels like we're getting set up for a chiefs Rams super bowl, which I won't complain too much about. Remember that game down in Mexico city turned into a pretty fun one. (laughs) Oh yeah. With Jared Goff at quarterback. Right. And a a worse defense. So imagine good defenses on both sides, or at least, Moderately decent ones on both sides. Moderate and moderately better. <laughs> and two competent quarterbacks instead of just one. Should be an amazing Super Bowl. But uh back to 49ers Packers for a second. Uh, there was one combined offensive touchdown in this game. It came from AJ Dillon, who fractured his ribs in the process. Congratulations. Uh, not allowed to have offensive points in this one, I guess. There are two other games this season where Aaron Rodgers threw zero interceptions and zero touchdowns and zero interceptions is what I should have said. My bad. Uh, the Packers are now one and two in those games this season. Uh, New Orleans in week one and Seattle in week 10. He also threw for basically no stats. Um, New Orleans, they looked really bad. And that Seattle game, they also looked really bad, but somehow won. So it's either Aaron Rodgers has a good game or the Packers really, really struggle, which we kind of knew that already. But it's fun to have that in statistical form. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, and Rashawn Gary tied for the lead in sacks on this game. That's two Niners and one Packer, if you're keeping track there. A little bit of a nice mix-up. I like to see 
Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead beasting because we did name them defensive line of the year. But also, Rashawn Gary has really come on for the Packers here. And you can't say now that the defense didn't help Aaron Rodgers. You really can't. Because, man, this was there's, a defensive showing for both sides. Yeah, there's there's no more excuses for Aaron Rodgers. I don't he, – he basically doesn't have anywhere to hide. And, uh, you know, I, John – you're absolutely right. Special teams need to be special in the playoffs. And for the Packers, special teams has been an issue. It's been something their fans have been calling out about all season. Right. So the fact that this happened in the playoffs, like I, I'm not for knee jerk firings, but it's been an issue all year. You give up a special teams touchdown and in the last play of the game, you don't even have 11 men on the field. It's uh, it's 10 22 on Monday night, central time. And they still haven't fired their special teams coordinator. I'm sorry, but it needs to be done. It's 8.22 Central Time, by the way. I don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> Say, uh, it'll probably be 10.22, and it'll probably still be <laughs> still be fine, uh, you know, on the team. So. True. Fair. Uh, I do want to say, wrap up this game, though, that this game happened and re-proved the premise of the show where you need to win in the trenches to win the game. <laughs> the Bengals Titans that was on iffy ground, but then Niners Packers came along and like, yep, told you so. <laughs> well, and uh, I think our next game kind of proves that as well. Yeah. Rams Buccaneers, because this was really a tale of two halves. And the final score was Rams 30, Bucks 27. All three of the first games of the week ended in a field goal, field goal difference. And of note as well, this is the first time in 12 years where we will have a conference championship game that won't feature either Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Gotta love the advanced statistics to find every little nook and cranny to put something in, right? Right. So what went wrong for the Bucks? Well, in short, they didn't play until the second half. And really... You could throw in there that they didn't recover the fumble on the one-yard line, but they did. You could throw in there. There were a lot of things that just went their way, right, in that second half. And it, and even True. the end of the first half, because Cam Akers fumbling on the one-yard line is probably the only reason. And, and Matt Gay missing a 47-yard field goal. Those two things are probably the only reason that the Rams had to make a game-winning drive, right? It's really funny to me that the exact thing we accuse the Philadelphia Eagles of, of being a second-half-only team, is what the Buccaneers became in the divisional mm-hmm. round after beating the Eagles. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's also worth mentioning that they shook up Tom Brady so much with the pressure in that first half and sacked him three times, and they weren't soft sacks. They were hard. He was taking some shots back there. It wasn't like a typical Tom Brady sack. There was definitely one where he stayed on the ground longer than I have seen Tom Brady stay on the ground after being sacked. And they, you know, there was a shot of his face, and I was like, he's thinking about it. He might be done. I'm, you know, that's just it's what I saw. It's not nothing official. Don't go running from the hills thinking Brady's done. Uh, but man, they he was shook. He was so shook up. He got hit. Uh, he didn't even get hit to the ground. Just got shoved. Maybe it was a little late. I've seen later hits, later harder hits not get flagged, but Brady, after just talking about how he can yell at the refs a little, get away with a little more trash talk and, you know, 
few weeks ago, yelled fuck you to a defensive coordinator while running down the Saints sideline, uh, no longer gets away with it. He actually got flagged for an unsportsmanlike penalty. It was one of three that the Buccaneers took in that first half. The first one or another one was by Dominican Sue. Shocker there, right? Uh, and then Levante three weren't. That's the real shock. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Uh, and then Levante, David, I will say Sue getting a taunting penalty irritated me because I hate taunting. I hate that rule. At the uh, same Levante, time, David. At the same time, Dominican Sue was like the guy that they thought of when they made that rule. So it makes I... whole sense. <laughs> and Levante, David, man, I, I have a problem with how they addressed the penalty. It was an unsportsmanlike for removing his helmet. Uh, and throwing it on the ground, I think, is what they said. If they hadn't said for removing his helmet and if they would have just said for slamming his helmet on the ground, I wouldn't have an issue with it because we see it all the time on these celebrations after an interception or a turnover. Guys taking their helmets off and jumping around. Guys coming off the sideline to celebrate. I mean, yeah. so I don't – if they'd have just said throwing his helmet on the ground, that's neither here nor there. I want to talk about what went right for the Rams. And let's be real, it was that first half. And <laughs> – yeah. They must have pissed the football gods off something fierce because they went from getting all kinds of crazy pressure on Tom Brady to not being able to do it a whole bunch. And part of that's because the defense was out there way too much. And that helped Brady, that helped the Bucks. But when Cooper Cup, who had over 200 touches in the regular season, has his first fumble of the year, when Cam Akers fumbles a second time on a simple Unreal. run up the middle. We were just talking about how much that's going to help the Rams. Game Akers is fully back and healthy. And then two fumbles. What? Where'd that come from? It really felt like the football gods did not want (laughs) the Los Angeles Rams to win. And yet, a few things went the Rams' way as well. Namely, the Eric Weddle (sighs) non-penalty. So it was still a penalty. And okay. I have a problem with it being called in the first place because yeah. they didn't, and this one specifically, they didn't mention any type of helmet to helmet contact, which in my opinion, there was not any helmet to helmet contact. However, if they'd have said for helmet to helmet or, you know, even brought up any type of hit like that, I'd have been okay with it. But I've seen guys hit just as hard taken to the ground on balls that weren't caught with no flag. Yeah. This one, however, and they extensively talked about this, that had the ball not hit the ground, if the ball was still in the air when Eric Weddle makes contact, the Bucks retain the ball. Because the ball hit the ground and then there was contact, the Rams retained possession of the ball. And that's really in the weeds, ticky-tacky shit that nobody cares about or probably knew before right. that play. I've, I've, I've literally read the NFL rule book. I could not tell you where that clause is. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard of that before in my life. <laughs> it uh, and again, in, in my opinion, flag shouldn't have been thrown in the first place. And I, does yeah. that change the outcome of it? What's right or what's wrong? No, but I don't know. It's maybe the Rams got away with one there. I, the way it was explained on the broadcast, and based on my own personal opinions, and again, I, Brady's the best to ever do it. Hand up, he's the best to ever do it. There's there's no bias here, right? This is not like me saying, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers threw the ball. Fuck him, right? <laughs> and, yeah, I, this going back to it, though, Tom Brady did not look good in the first half. He was rattled. And, and again, 
best to ever do it. He definitely made some adjustments at halftime, probably got himself right. But when the opposing defense is out there that much, and then for whatever reason decide, yeah, we're going to have Jalen Ramsey go one-on-one with Mike Evans. You know, actually, really? in the first quarter, that makes total sense. But after being on the field that long, and, oh, man, it doesn't make sense the second half. <laughs> Can't do oh, it that man. way. And then, hey, got to give it up for Matt Gay, missing that 47-yard field goal and then getting the uh, getting the redemption there at the end. I said it Ultimate on Twitter. Redemption. Game winner. Game winner. I, and I said it on Twitter – as they lined up for that 47-yarder, I said, if he makes this, this is the ball game. And, you know, things definitely could have gone differently, 100%. But if he makes that and it plays out the the way that it did, Rams don't even have to worry about that last drive, then just kneel it out. Bucks probably right. save a couple timeouts. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that work differently. Right. Anything score. could have happened, but you're probably right. It, it just felt like one of those things. There were six – 39 left in the game you make it a three possession game at that point it gets really easy to keep you know play keep away or should have at least obviously those fumbles man the rams i think were the better team overall but man did they get lucky well speaking of luck the rams are the first team in nfl history to fumble four times and blow a 20 point lead and still win the game. <laughs> Never happened before in NFL history. That's pretty amazing. Uh, also, really weird. I can't believe that happened. <laughs> Especially against, I like, some Tom Brady. And, you know, he actually lost twice this season to the Rams. So you might ask, when's the last time Tom Brady lost to a team twice in one season? That would actually also be this year against the New Orleans Saints. Thought that was fun because the Saints didn't even make the playoffs. So take that, Tom Brady. I have one up on you. In fact, I have not lost the Saints this year. Or twice, for that matter. Right. Uh, Combined rushing total for both teams is less than the Titans alone had in their divisional game. And yet there were more points scored. I don't like this stat, but it is also (laughs) also true. (laughs) What are you going to do, right? And those are the biggest fun stats that I found for this one. Um, mostly saw Tom Brady throw over 300 yards, and we saw his opposition throw for over 300 yards. That doesn't happen all that often, I guess. But at the same time, it's Brady and Stafford. I mean, they're both really good. So I could have thrown that in there. I guess I kind of did anyway at the end there. But... I don't know, a little bit less interesting than Rams only had 73 rushing yards in the game. The Titans basically doubled that by themselves. The Buccaneers only had 51 rushing yards in this game, and it was this close, 30-27. to Why? What has this league become? (laughs) I don't like it, especially Buccaneers that produce Mike Allstott. I don't like it at all. I know. I don't like it at all. And Ward Dunn. Man, a couple of good rushers out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Anyway, take us to our last game here. The Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs, the only home team to win in this divisional round. Kansas City Chiefs do pulled off in overtime, 42-36. Sanity. 
And we will talk about the NFL overtime here later. Trust me, we'll get to that because when you look at the have to what yeah, when you look at what went wrong for the Bills, that's it, really. I mean, obviously nobody expected them to repeat an offensive performance like they had last week. So I guess you could say offensive production went down. You're technically, technically. not wrong. Right. <laughs> but I mean I don't know. I I think my biggest issue is with 13 seconds left, why are you rushing more than three? Because they rush three. Kelsey gets over the middle, finds a seam up the middle, goes untouched. And that's the completion that put him in field goal range. Hell, I might not even rush anybody. Throw a whole new formation out there. Just nine defensive backs and two linebackers. I Something, man. It's just, I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be kind of how Wesley Frazier has looked at going into these coaching hirings. Much like I I, I said it, and I I didn't bring it up, but Byron Leftwich, like, hey, you know, I'm not really all that impressed. And again, it's not fair to judge either of those guys off of one singular game, but there maybe see some concerns there, right? It just when you break everything down and you look at everything, that's really the only thing I can point to that the Bills had maybe start playing better a little at, bit earlier, right? At the same time, how many teams have really stopped the Chiefs when they've been on their game, right? Early this season, we were like, man, the Chiefs feel off. It was never a conversation about how great those defenses were. It was a conversation about, hey, Patrick Mahomes isn't playing up to what we've expected out of him now, right? So for the fact that the Bills were able to contain them at all. I mean, that's not... They didn't score 40-plus in regulation. Give them that. That's a credit to the Bills' defense. (laughs) Honestly, at this point. I got to say, for the Chiefs, man, getting Tyreek Hill involved again, that's what went right for them. (sighs) Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, eh, iffy. They're able to get to all their other weapons, though. Hill, Kelsey, Hardman. They got everybody involved. And I'm not going to lie to you either. When I saw Tyreek Hill returning kicks, there was a part of me that was a little concerned. Now, I love an electric returner, right? Grew up Bears fan my whole life. Grew up watching Devin Hester. Tyreek Hill, man, I, I was concerned when I first saw him back there. And then the ball got in his hands. I said, oh, it makes sense now. (laughs) It is wonderful to see. It's a shame that if, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Chiefs games. I imagine Andy Reid has probably reserved this for the playoffs, just had somebody else back there. Yes, it's been mostly Pringle, I believe. That's what I was going to say. I think it's been buying Pringle. It makes sense that in the playoffs you would have Tyreek Hill do it. Absolutely. It's so disappointing that you can't afford to risk him doing it all all the time because – that would be so as much, much fun to watch. As much as I want Hester's record to stay forever, Tyreek Hill would probably break it. Well, and, and it's it fun to watch. Close. It'd be fun to watch somebody break it. it was oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'd watch way more Chiefs games. True. True. So I guess now we do have to talk about overtime a little bit because, I mean, like you said for the Bills, the only thing that really we can point to that went wrong is that coin flip. So – 
a couple of ideas that I have seen. There is the obvious one where, you know, you guarantee two possessions, right? So one team gets a chance. The other team definitely gets a chance no matter what happens. And if it's tied after that, it's sudden death. I have also seen a proposal, which I like a lot, that does that first bit. You know, both teams get possession for sure, but then also bans field goals for overtime. You have to score a touchdown to win the game, which I kind of like. <laughs> I don't know how restrictive we really want to get. I mean, we still want it to be football, but there needs to be something happen here. I mean, this, this overtime... You can't have a walk-off score after, you know, one so, me one like half possession. I I'm, I'm definitely in the minority here. That I think what they have for the regular season works. I think that's the right move. I think it's halfway there to be correct for the playoffs because I I do think the everyone gets a possession is uh i think that's vital right right I, I do honestly still sit here and say we'll stop them okay and i think that argument is fine in the regular season i think that argument's fine in the regular season i don't think it's fine in the playoffs that's that's the problem right you right. know you look at look at the other three major sports right baseball Away team bats first, so they bat at the top of the inning. Then the home team bats at the bottom of the inning. Basketball, you play the full period. Hockey, there's a – I mean, hockey's the only one that's a little comparable, right? Because there's a face-off. You lose the face-off. The opposing team could go down the ice and score on their first shot. And then what – you know, what difference really is there except for the fact that you at least had the opportunity to possess the puck by getting a face-off? Right. right. It still requires a, a an actual hockey play in order for possession to be right. So that's another thing that I saw. There was another proposal I had found where it was like uh, we could do something crazy with deciding possession for overtime if we're going to keep it as one possession could win the game. Anything ranging from a field goal wager like uh, the home team gets to pick a distance, the other team gets to decide who kicks it, to decide who gets possession. Um, I saw one where forget the kickoffs, forget everything, just say one, the home team gets to pick a yard line that you'll start from, and the away team gets to pick who gets to start with the ball on offense, which sounds nuts, but then you also got to think, like, what are you going to pick your own 10-yard line? And then now the decision's really tough, right? So there's, there's a number of possibilities. I, I don't know what I really want to see happen here. I just know that if Josh Allen got another shot, this game would have gone very differently, especially because we saw four touchdowns in the last two minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, you, you've probably seen the meme now too, if, if the NFL had better overtime rules, it's probably 135 to 142 after 19 overtimes, right? <laughs> right. I mean, right. it's I, – I, I do think, like I said up top, regular season, I think they've got it figured out. And if a regular season game ends in a tie, I personally don't care. 
because that that is something that you can actually point to and say, yes, the NFL wasn't actually lying when they said they cared about health and wellness of their players, because that means that there is a definitive end. Like you've played 60 minutes, it'll be over in 10. The playoffs obviously is different. You would love to see a team. I mean, they already change it. It's a full 15 minute quarter. And if it's tied at the end, guess what? You'll play another one because it's for all the marbles, right? So why not add that one extra change that, you get the ball first, well, then the other team gets it. And if it's tied after that, then it's next score wins. Because we already have it in the regular season. You kick a field goal, guess what? The other team gets the gets the possession. And, it, I mean, it's right. the same way in the playoffs right now, too. So, I don't know. I, I think, too, you know, Josh Allen's comments have been taken out of context a little bit. Right? He – I don't remember exactly what he said, but basically, basically it was like, yeah, it sucks – but it, I would be celebrating too. So I'm not going to sit here and whine and pout about the rule because it's worth mentioning too that when the Chiefs were eliminated in overtime on a single possession three years ago, mm-hmm. the Bills were one of the teams that voted against changing the overtime rules. Yeah, it's it's a good problem to have, I would say, that you have two offenses that are so high-powered and so prolific right now squaring off regularly in the playoffs that we have to have these conversations. The fact that these games are this close is a good problem to have for the NFL, but we do need to figure out this out at some point. And I want to see better resolutions to games like this, because man, this, as you were saying up top, right, this would have been game of the week. If not for, wow, what a letdown. Of course, the chiefs are going to score. They got the ball first. Mm-hmm. And you you saw it too when they won the coin toss. I don't remember who had gone out for that. They were so hype. Can you blame them? You, right. You're going to get to you know put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hand at home. Right. Crowds buzzing after you just made that game extending drive with 13 seconds left. They didn't run out of fireworks. I mean, what <laughs> everything went right. <laughs> yeah, I mean what. <laughs> Uh, it, it's worth mentioning too. You know, I, I've said it. We've said it several times that we think the Walter Payton Man of the Year award is the uh, most important award in the NFL. Yeah. And the nominee for the Chiefs, Tyron Matthew, he did leave the game. I think in the first quarter entered concussion protocol. So, uh, you know, on the field, absolutely miss him. But man, if he ends up winning Walter Payton Man of the Year, talk about a turnaround from the dude that was cut from LSU. Didn't get drafted, right. un, you know, undraft UDFA to the Texans makes that secondary respectable, and to then win, you know, win a Super Bowl with the Chiefs, being a second one and potentially be leading this defensive secondary to a third one. I, I don't want to say that Josh Allen and the Bills don't win this game or don't uh, make a comeback, rather, because they didn't win. I don't want to say that they don't make a comeback if Tyron Matthew is out there, but damn, does it get a lot harder. Very true. Very true. And I, yeah, I do love that story of Tyron Matthew. He's also a fantastic safety. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love to see him. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do have a couple of fun stats for you. Wanted to run down. This is, and I did this research myself. I didn't find this anywhere. So I, I may be wrong, but I'm, pretty sure about this that this is the first divisional round game in nfl history where both starting quarterbacks led their teams in rushing yards 
Mahomes and Allen were both the leaders in rushing yards in this game. Now, not not to say that this is the first playoff game where this has happened, just the first divisional round game. The last playoff game this happened was the 2019 wild card with Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson. Man, that would have been a great thing to see Deshaun Watson still playing in the league. I hope that gets settled soon. <laughs> uh, also, it's a very different discussion for a di- very different day. <laughs> anyway, uh, shout out to Gabriel Davis. This is his best game ever at any level, I got to say. <laughs> uh, UCF wide receiver in his second year with the Buffalo Bills. And he just basically doubled his career high for receiving yards in a game and his second multi-touchdown game ever. And this one, he had all four of the Bills passing touchdowns with Gabriel Davis. So huge shout out to that guy. What a great start to his young career, getting four touchdowns, 201 yards in the divisional round. Way to make yourself valuable. Way to make yourself part of that team forever. Is it that surprising when the biggest thing Stefan Diggs was tackle a fan that ran onto the field? Oh, he lit that dude up. <laughs> yeah, also, I'm not the rest of the game, but man, they let I'm, him loose on that one. <laughs> I'm not advocating running onto the field at all. We haven't had a streaker in a very long time, right? And I'm very disappointed that this dude ran onto the field fully clothed, although. For everybody else's sake, I'm fine with it. You know, the game is in January in Kansas City. I don't blame him that much. It wasn't that cold. I'm not that far away. It'd been, he'd been fine. It's, he'd it's been fine. cold enough to be be really uncomfortable. So, <laughs> but really, that's oh, all I had man. for the, all these games. What a week of football it was, though. And. Man, we got conference championships coming up. We're going to be picking those games next episode, dude. This is unreal. We're already almost at the end of the NFL season. It's, it's kind of depressing. I, I'm just so, so happy that after having five really bad games and a sixth eh, game last week, we had four amazing football games this week. And, man, th- that's that's – what's great about the NFL, I think. And I just hope that when we get to the Super Bowl, we have a great game. I hope we have two great games this weekend as well. We'll just have to bide our time, I guess. Right. Until we that get would there. be ideal. It would be ideal. Uh, so you will have noticed that we haven't had bracket time for a couple of weeks now. As I've said in previous episodes, we're working on something. I'll give you a hint, though. We are waiting until the NFL awards. So if you can let us know what you think we're going to be doing a bracket on here that we have to be waiting on the NFL awards show to be doing, uh, you can get a little bit, maybe a sneak peek of the graphics or maybe even have a guest spot on the show and be a little bit of a guest picker for our bracket time. I don't know. Let us know if you want to do that. Just get in contact with us. You can do so in several different ways. Facebook, Twitter, uh, Patreon, if you're so inclined. We have a email address as well, mailbox at bdtfootball.com. Essentially, just think BDT Football. You can find us all sorts of places. Get in touch with us. Yeah, if you, if you really want a sneak peek 
the link for Patreon is right. It's been scrolling below us all day. You go there, I promise you, you will get a sneak peek into what <laughs> our next bracket is going to be. There's uh, there's no no denying that at all. We just got to uh, also here. That's going to be. <laughs> also, do want to shout out our new Twitch account that we're streaming this episode on right now. As Bug mentioned at the very start of this thing, you can follow us right now at Big Dudes in the Trenches. It's the only one of our handles that's a little bit different. One uh, word: BDT football, almost everywhere. But on Twitch, we are at Big Dudes in the Trenches. Yeah, and be on the lookout for it. You know, obviously, Twitch is more of a gaming platform, and uh, I think we're gonna venture into doing a little bit, a little bit of gaming here in the future. So definitely keep your eye out for it. I'm excited to get to work on doing that. That's going to be fun, I think. I'm excited to be expanding the show, getting us going in the right direction. And I'm also very excited for a great weekend of football coming up in the very near future. Conference championships, man. When's the last time there's been a bad conference championship game? Last year? Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Anyway. I don't have anything else to talk about in this particular show. You have some parting shots for us, man. You know, I I said it earlier. You know, it, our shows were once the Super Bowl is over, we're going to go to one show a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but but we're going to have to talk about the FCF, the USFL. We'll talk about all those games. If you go to bdtfootball.com, as that gets closer, we'll be talking about all those games on there as well. I can almost guarantee it. I do have a snap the fact for us, though. Oh, boy. Napoleon. Napoleon Bonaparte. He suffered from a fear of cats. What a pussy. Woo! Got him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out of here before I get banned on Twitch. <laughs> You got to say a lot worse to get banned on Twitch. Trust me. Uh, but yeah, Tugs thing. Hey, oh no. Peace out, out, Girl Scout. <laughs>